Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara Kearney and I am your host. Book of Leaves, an Irish podcast where I interview people in Ireland who are doing something good for the planet and I and you, the listeners, can take a leaf from their book to add to our own way of eco-friendly living. It is so lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for tuning in when there are thousands of podcasts that you could listen to. And I was on an amazing podcast last week called Catch Up with Louise McSharry. So there might be some new listeners who have trickled over from there and you are very welcome. Hopefully you enjoy this kind of eclectic range of interviews that I have. Um, If there's any topics that anyone would like me to cover or people they would like to suggest or even you yourself if you've got something going on you don't need to be an expert as I was chatting about on Louise podcast and anyone anyone at all is in a position to make the world a better place and affect change and inspire people um so yeah absolutely send suggestions or requests or ideas or comments my way um you can find book of leaves on instagram book of leaves podcast there twitter facebook i do neglect twitter a little bit the odd time most of the time, not going to lie, and let's just blame Elon. But uh, if anyone is listening and doesn't know who I am, um, I trained in the arts. I work in theatre mostly, and the environment is just something that I'm really passionate about. I've just always really liked trees and animals, and was very kind of tuned in to when they were cut down when I was growing up in in the countryside. So yeah, I was always just kind of aware, but never did anything about it until about 2019. That's when I started this podcast and started joining protests and stuff. So I am by no means an expert but this is a lovely passion project I've been running this podcast since 2019 so delighted to have you here. Now this episode we're going to be interviewing Maria Young and I know you're probably you probably saw the length of this one jeez lads like I edit every episode I go in and I, I know that people are most likely to listen to shorter episodes so I'll go in and I'll cut out when I start waffling or if there's little things that you know we we've kind of made our point and then we make it again I'll take out the second time. Maria just had so many good insights and nuggets to share. I couldn't edit it down. Could not. Like she, everything she says is just amazing. Just fucking amazing. And at the end, I've got this question where I ask us, can you like paint a picture of the future? Um, What's one of your favourite things that you like about it when it works out? And just wait until you hear this. She, t- she takes us on a five minute magical journey. And it's just beautiful. And that question, by the way, is inspired by Rob Hopkins' book from What Is to What If, which I would absolutely recommend. Um, it's all about how we can use the imagination to build a better future. And yeah, he's got a podcast out as well. So uh, check that out. Um, if you do like the work that I do, please do um, obviously give us a follow. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you could please take a couple of seconds to give five stars and write a little review that would be so helpful and likewise if you're on Spotify it literally takes one second just to tap five stars and if you are in a position where you can financially contribute to the running of the show that would be amazing I don't have any price barriers there's no extra content except the odd like blog or something that you'd be um have access to um that's to try keep it fair for everyone for for people that are broke <laughs> like me <laughs> so if you are broke don't worry about it if you have got spare cash if you can 
can contribute to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash book of leaves or the buymeacoffee.com forward slash book of leaves. You can contribute once off there. It is so appreciated and it all goes back into the different hosting fees of the website, etc. So yeah, in the show notes, you'll find everything that Maria talks about. Um, so yeah, whether or not you are involved in gardening or like me, you buy a plant and you kill it within like a day. <laughs> there's something in this episode for you. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for tuning in. And yeah, I'll catch you after. And thank you to everyone who listened to the Louise McCharry episode and to her for having me on. Just fab. Okay, I'll catch you after. My name is Maria and I'm the coordinator of Green Spaces for Health. I also work with the Cork Food Policy Council and I have a third job. Uh, I'm with SHEP EarthAware and SHEP stands for the Social Health and Education Project. And I think it's important to mention all three jobs because they all interweave where one leaves off, the other takes up. Um, And I'll probably refer to all three of them as we go through the interview. Amazing. And was this something that they're all obviously linked to environment and health? Was this something that you've always been interested in or what did you have a turning point or catalyst for for being kind of inspired to get active growing up or recently I've come from the arts all my life I worked oh. in the arts around 2015-16 I began to consider a change of career and I have been admiring and wondering about the environment for a very long time I love nature I love being out in nature and I was very concerned about our planet and what's happening and I wasn't sure what to do about it. So I began to volunteer with Shep, actually, Shep Earthware. And uh, that gradually introduced me to the work of Joanna Macy. I don't know if you're aware of Joanna Macy. Yes, I've definitely plugged her book, Act of Hope, on this podcast before. Really, really powerful stuff in like sustaining I mean, it's more than just mindfulness, but it's just, yeah, it became really, really helpful in in not getting burnout and stuff like that. So you found her work. I found her work through SHEP. And for about three or four years in SHEP, we were raising awareness uh, about all sorts of things relating to the environment. Mm. And my job was to try and source speakers um, for monthly talks. And I must say, I learned an awful lot in those three or four years. Um, and then we used to go out on field trips uh, led by farmers or ecologists. Then COVID came and we collaborated with about five or six other organisations in the city. And the liberating thing about that was that we were able to invite speakers from all across the globe to address um, really issues, particularly urban greening issues. And uh, we used to have those on Tuesday afternoons and we used to invite the city council along, you know, planners and people from the parks and recreation and that. Mm. And um, that worked out really well, actually. We used to have about 300 people. It was around the time that Cork City was writing up its new development plan. So I like to think that that sort of fed into it and it opened up the discussion, you know. And then, um, well, prior to that, then I went for a job in um, Green Spaces for Health and I got the job. And they also offered me the kind of companion job, which was the Cork Food Policy Council. And as I say, one one complements the other. Yeah, they all they're all linked. That's amazing. So I guess um to start with, would lo- I'd love to go through like what each of the three of them kind of involve. I've actually never heard of Shep before, so can you tell us a little bit about them and the work that they do? Uh, the Social Health and Education Project will be fifty years old next year, and wow. uh, 
do counselling, they do personal development courses, but I'm involved in the part that's concerned with the environment. So we're called SHEP Earth Aware and we're a little branch of SHEP. And uh, then the Cork Food Policy Council, as the name suggests, there is only one food policy council here in Ireland. They're very popular in the UK and uh, the one in Cork was founded by Colin Sage. She was a professor of geography at UCC. Hmm. and um, it's been on the go I think for about gosh seven or eight years Um, I'm with them now about four years and as the name suggests uh, they're concerned with food farm to fork with food producers food poverty growing food in the city all sorts of things to do with food a lot of things about like our food systems and how they're kind of broken and that would they also be looking at food sovereignty growing more here importing less as well as like maybe the environmental aspect of growing food as well like kind of looking at everything yes in fact we've got this idea that we're uh, trying to progress at the moment and it comes out of a lecture we had in that series i mentioned earlier and the title of that lecture was can cork feed itself mm-hmm. and unless we all eat milk and live on um or eat meat and live on milk yeah um and we're growing very little vegetables here, like every other county in Ireland. Really. Exactly. Yeah. So we're thinking of um, starting this food innovation hub is what we're calling it. And um, the idea is we'd get land, maybe 50 to 100 acres, and we'd parcel it up into two to five acres and make it available for students coming out of permacultural colleges or horticultural colleges who don't have access to land. Mm-hmm. Because we've recognised this as a problem. Trying to get land is very difficult for young would-be uh, vegetable growers. Mm-hmm. And the idea is we try to establish this within the city boundaries or else just immediately outside. And that that food then would be uh, streamed into the city. And either through markets or a cooperative, uh, you know, that food would be available then for the people of Cork. Amazing. Um, so we're at the early stages of planning that at the moment. I Maybe in another year or two, we'll manage to get it up off the ground. But there are examples of that. I know through Rob Hopkins' work, he has a great book called um, From What Is to What If, and he like imagining a better future. And there's a place uh, outside Paris that does that. And they, they're growing their own food um, outside Paris and sending it into co-ops and food co-ops are selling it and it's so so local um so yeah there are actually uh, people might be listening going god that sounds like a bit far-fetched it's miles away from happening but it is can actually be achieved that's that's fascinating and then of course last but not least green spaces cork um i guess is a lot of what it says in the tin but can you give us a kind of lowdown what they do as well uh green space this is, uh, is trying to identify green spaces, reconnect people with nature, look at the green spaces that we have and ask the question, um, what is the habitat here and how can we protect it? Because mm-hmm. everywhere you look these days, our green spaces are being encroached on. And uh, not only how can we protect the habitat, but how can we increase the opportunity for biodiversity? So uh, we have a number of uh, projects in Cork. Uh, one of them is in Park Owen. I'll just use that as an example. And um, it's uh, a former graveyard. It's a very old cemetery. All of the headstones have been removed. Mm. And we moved in there about four or five years ago. And it was actually the local community guardie who 
introduced us to the area and they asked us was there something we could do because there was a lot of antisocial behavior in this place sure and at the time I was delighted because I was working in one parish in Cork when I started the job first and that was South Parish and South Parish is in Cork City it's very built up the streets are very narrow there's very few green spaces other than land that's owned by the church only for graveyards i guess and church land we'd have no green spaces in this part that's that's mad to think about isn't it but but yeah that's amazing that you had you had that one because yeah there is when graveyards reach a certain point they don't get visitors anymore like generations and generations on so that that's amazing so what then would did did you decide to do with that land was it turned into a food space kind of for growing or like more a, leisure and kind of focusing on the biodiversity or a bit of both um at the time we had um been instrumental in installing a beehive on top of the rooftop of um, st john's college which is very nearby we had this campaign to grow for the bees to support the bees on top Mm. of the rooftop like what were they going to eat and so uh we started by planting in beds uh with flowers that would support the bee population actually the very first thing we did was we planted a hedgerow and it was called a permacultural hedgerow and uh, I got it from or we got it from future forests it was 25 meters long that was great and that's thriving now it's quite tall it needs probably to be sort of um, coppiced now a little bit and then the next job we did was we uh, established uh, an area uh, on the south side of the park uh, to grow flowers etc like I mentioned and over time it's gradually developed so now um, the whole lower tranche of the park and it's quite small is left grow wild we cut mm. it twice a year with sides and we collect the grass because we're trying to create meadow-like conditions yeah. for, to allow the flowers to come up. Um, and then in the upper area, we've established a tree nursery and we've also established a medicinal bed. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And uh, we have, we're working with an artist, um, Ashley Ellis, and she works a lot with fabric and the dyeing of fabric with very old um, techniques Mm. and we're growing flowers that produce color so we're growing woad for blue and that would have been the color that was used before indigo was brought over from the east and we're doing um, weld and that provides us with yellow Uh, we're growing loads of yarrows in that spot and um, we've got rhubarb for a mordant because you need a mordant to make sure that the dyes don't run out in the first wash you know um, and there's a number of other flowers there. And we've had several workshops with ink artists and also with Ashley, uh, where we've brought in fabric and we've gone through the whole process and dyed the fabric. So that's the dye garden is what we call that. We've also planted quite a few native trees. And um, yeah, we've transformed. I think that's an example of going into a space doing no harm mm-hmm. and really... Uh, which is because we're very influenced by permaculture as well and um, and increasing the um, potential for uh, species to survive. That's amazing and it's it's an actual literal example of finding a place that's only associated with death and turning it into life again like it's the proper <laughs> the proper metaphor and how big is this land because someone might be thinking Jesus they've got so much going on in there that that must be like several acres but I can't imagine graveyards being too big or did you say how large this particular park is? Um, I don't even think it's an acre you know it's wow. quite high. Yeah, yet it's spacious enough. 
And we don't actually do anything in the centre of it because we have to respect the dead, of course, as well. And um, there are concerns maybe that if we tamper with the inside or grow things, you know, there might be an archaeological dig there at some time later on. Sure. So you're not even, so you're actually leaving even the old gravestones and everything alone. Well, the gravestones were moved. Or not the gravestones, sorry, the actual graves themselves. The actual area of where they would have been largely and were on the fringes. Now the fringes are quite big, like there's a kind of a path running through the whole thing. So we've got good, we've got plenty of space actually to do what we want to do. Wow. Um, And how has it changed? Because there used to be like antisocial behaviour there before. I'd say not a lot of people were actually there. Is this something that's now kind of open to the public and there is now a hive of people as well as the bees kind of floating around the place every day? What's the activity in it like? It's still relatively quiet and that's, I suppose that's a really charming aspect about it. It's Mm. peculiar in that it's on a slope and when you go in there, you can see the skyscape of the city. But for some bizarre reason, you can't hear much sound that you'd expect from a city coming back, wafting back. So it's almost like a surreal image. You're looking on the city, uh, like even though we're in the city, but because it's in a height, you're looking right down in the centre of the city unless you can't hear it. So it's very peaceful. Uh, there are a lot of mature trees there. The antisocial behaviour reduced virtually, I would say, within a year. Wow. Um, you know, there's the odd, you know, thing that happens but um, yeah it's a place now where people feel a lot more um people are going down there to walk and we've had quite a few outdoor um classes and that there for example we ran tai chi classes there amazing (laughs) what else did we do we did meditating classes and we have an outdoor classroom we work with the school of art sometimes and they come over um, so there's been all sorts of events there and we're very consistent in the gardening we're there every single Tuesday so I think that all helps and um, if anyone is local in Cork can they come and visit um, on Tuesdays when you're doing gardening are you open to kind of visitors or should they get in touch with you first no it's open to anybody at any time because it's not locked or anything now there is a little gate that led down to douglas street once upon a time and that's been closed for a very very long time because there was so much activity coming up but you can access it from the top from um, quaker road um so it's wide open to the public at all times um anybody can go down there anytime they want and anyone's welcome to join us on tuesday that would be lovely oh well yeah if you've got green thumb or no green thumb i'm absolutely terrible maria like i get a basil plant from the shop and i can't keep it alive i try grow my own stuff so i only feel comfort when i'm doing this in a community because i like to learn skills you know that kind of way um so you were mentioning the tree nursery then as well do you want to talk to us a little bit about that so we did a tree audit of south parish and for people who aren't familiar with uh, where that parish might be in cork it's quite um, a big parish it runs from the city hall in the east right up to ucc and it extends from the south channel of the river lee up to Evergreen Street. So it's a big, long, rectangular shaped area. And uh, we decided with UCC to do a tree audit. And our intention was to map, measure, identify every tree that we could really on the streets and also uh, in institutions and in private gardens if we got opportunity. So we mapped and measured, uh, etc. about 1,100 trees and tag on map. And we measured the circumference Uh, the diameter, we measured the height of the tree, we measured the canopy and all that data went into UCC and uh, the other data was the data we were most interested in which was like how many of these trees were native 
versus non-native? What were the species? In other words, how much biodiversity were we supporting with the trees? You know, <clears throat> that was one of our queries. And of course, where were the trees and what kind of condition were they in? So 18% of those trees were native, a whopping 82% are oh. non-native. We're always at pains to say, like, we welcome all trees. Uh, that's very important to say because there's some fantastic trees there, like London Plains. I know there's a lot of those in Dublin now, for example. And they, they aren't native, are they not? No, but they're great, like, for pollution and that, you know. Okay, yeah. Um, it's, you know, a lot of trees are great. And, like, Tilia would be non-native. This is the lime tree, but the blossoms provide food for bees, you know. Mm. So it's it's not as clear cut as being native, non-native, but still exactly. we think the balance is out. We, we started thinking, well, how are we going to change this? And we began to collect fruit from older trees, like old oak trees, hawthorn mm. trees, etc. And uh, we began to grow them, uh, the fruit. And then we started tree nurseries. And we were very influenced by another really good group in Cork called Trees Please. And they collaborated with us in our first tree nursery so basically it's very easy anybody could do this anywhere you just cover the ground with my picks or something for a season and what Mm -hmm. you're trying to do is uh, suppress the grass because you don't want the grass competing with your saplings and then you come along with your young saplings after maybe taking them out of the pots that you put them into and you put them into this nursery and they can be grown a foot apart or even half a foot apart you can put a lot of trees into a very small area and then after a year or two years depending on the tree you can take it out and plant it wherever its permanent home is going to be so we started our one in park uh last year we put in 130 trees and this uh about two months ago we moved the trees there they grew up and we moved well they grew up when i say they grew up they grew a couple of feet taller so in other words they're but, not so fragile when you're planting them yeah of course and we uh we planted about a thousand trees this year and we wow. planted those trees in a hedgerow in a local school um so we're after replanting now the nursery with another 100 trees um, wow so that's just over you know and it means you're going for the local trees you're not going Buying trees that are being imported yeah you know exactly where they came from like you literally got the seed from a local old oak or whatever that's that's really oh it that is just beautiful because I know like you're saying native doesn't always necessarily mean bad like there are some like technically the hedgehog isn't necessarily native because they came here thousands of years ago as opposed to always being on this island so it, it can be like a funny balance but there are definitely trees out there that are doing more harm than good or not you know kind of killing other species and bringing with them disease or not providing anything for pollinators and then when it comes to that balance like you said like yeah striking that balance 18 percent native is is not great at all so how do you find then i guess this is something that some listeners might want to know if they're not in cork and they either want to do um some tree planting like that or even reclaiming some space like with green spaces how do you go about finding land to do that it's probably different for for trees and then you know gardening but have you any tips for people um well we're after opening a number of tree nurseries now in the city so one of them is in uh hospital grounds saint Finbar's Hospital in Cork City have some grounds and they wanted to do something for biodiversity. So we have a corner of their garden and a hundred trees have gone in there. And if they're going to be planting a hedgerow or they want to plant single trees, they can go to the uh, trees now in their nursery 
next uh, autumn uh, going right up to spring and they can plant out those around the hospital grounds or some of the staff can take them or some of the people living locally can take them you know mm. so that's one place uh, another place we ended up with a nursery is the army uh, the army veterans in the north side of the city had some land and again i see it's a very small space you're talking about you can you can have a tree nursery in two meters by three or four meters yeah. wide it's not in the little front gardens that people have that no no one uses they just mow them perfect location that you just mentioned there now it's such a waste you know yeah. all the lawn when you put it all together what you could do with it exactly. anywhere at all that's kind of safe and you don't even have to be too sheltered but you want to make sure that there's not too much traffic so that people won't trodden them or you know uh, dogs and that won't destroy them um any of the community gardens uh that we're working with, including our own in Toker, that we're most affiliated with. We've started a tree nursery there and a local uh, primary school educate together have come in and they're going to be moving. They're, they're in prefabs at the moment and they're going to be moving school in a couple of years and they're planting into the nursery now for the big move and wow. then they'll use those trees. Um, so like uh yeah you can you can you can establish a tree nursery anywhere. You could even have a raised bed if you wanted to. If you didn't want to be kind of bending down or you felt your soil wasn't suitable and you could have a modest raised bed and you could yeah. put 20 or 30 trees into it. Yeah, so true. And I think yeah, contacting these kind of like state bodies or like schools and these big kind of sometimes publicly funded places or even like if there's a corporation nearby, yeah, especially if you've got... um friends or family who work in, in a building or whatever and they're on land I'd say there's no harm in actually reaching out to them especially if you're with a group and saying you don't need to do anything we can come in and kind of show you how to do this if you want to take it up or just kind of manage a little part of the land that's um, sorry just to answer your original question about that yeah approach your local council I guess and ask them now we'll probably talk later about the food growing community gardens mm. and a lot of those now are on council land in parks and we're incorporating the nurseries into those um, but certainly ask and I think it would be fantastic actually if councils allocated land for tree nurseries I mean we're going to have to grow so many trees in this country and it's such a waste when you see all the fruit in the ground and it's not being utilized yeah. you know uh, nature is giving in abundance for the future actually mm -hmm. and that's what it's trying to do it's trying to plant more trees itself so we're only helping in assisting it um, now in Cork actually with Trees Please the city council did allocate land and they've given it over to um the organisation trees, please. And they have a number of raised beds in there and that's where their main hub is. Amazing. So yeah, I'm sure that could be happening already for all we know yeah yeah if you don't ask you won't know so absolutely no harm in, in asking for this kind of land and then yes we do I'd love to talk about community gardens and before I guess we go into kind of how people should set them up um how do community gardens differ from allotments that people might have and they can grow their own thing there what is a community garden if someone's actually never been to one or seen one so the big difference between allotments and community gardens is that with an allotment, you go into your own space, you can lock your gate behind you um, and you're essentially responsible for your patch. And with a community garden, 
nobody owns anything. No one person is responsible for a bed. At least that's how we run it in Toker. Um, so I'll give you the example, I guess, of Toker Community Garden mm. in Cashtoof Park in the city of Cork. It's in the suburbs and it's established now one year in about six months. And we have 18 raised beds. And occasionally people come to us and they say, oh, I'd love a raised bed. Would you mind if I have one of these beds or how do you do it? And we always say, no, all of the beds are for everyone to work together for a number of reasons. We're following a permacultural model, so we want to be able to rotate our crops. And we want the garden to be not just diverse, diverse in in plant world and in, in what we're growing, but we want it to be diverse in regards to the people who garden there. And we want people to be able to mix and learn from one another. We want young and old to be able to work on the same bed or beds, you know, growing Mm -hmm. things. And if you say to a person, this is yours, this is yours, that's your one. uh, The the opportunity for that kind of mixing. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah, it's gone. So I love that as well. Like nobody owns anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, The garden is there for everything, everyone rather. Uh, So that's the big difference. Amazing. And then how did you guys start Toker Community Garden? Like, how did you end up with that land? And how do others, I guess, do the same? So Green Spaces for Health were approached by a lady whose job description is a social prescriber. She works with the Balafihan Community Development Project. And her job is to sort of look out for people in the community who might be vulnerable or fragile. Mm. And she looked around and felt there there was a need for a community garden. Now, she wasn't clear uh, whether it was going to be food growing. She didn't go that far, but she just felt there was a need for a garden where people could go to. So she approached us because uh, we had I'd given a talk prior to that about trees and I'm so delighted that she rang us she thought a location might be the local park Clash Dove Park which is quite large in Toker and she even had gone so far as to uh, identify a particular part of that park so I met with her and I had a look at it and then I contacted the city council now, the cemetery that I was talking about earlier was Park mm. Owen and the Gardaí that time had approached us, as I said earlier, uh, to do something in that park. And it meant we had to contact the council because even though it's a cemetery, the councillor is still in charge of it. Sure. And we'd been there a couple of years and I guess they trusted us. We had a track record with them. And when the idea for the food garden in Toker came about, it was post-COVID. And there was this heightened awareness I think about the importance of green spaces Mm -hmm. and about community and whereas if I think I may have gone looking for it before COVID I'm not so clear that we would have been successful but because it was post-COVID and everything changed Cork City Council said yes and we were absolutely thrilled and they agreed as well to the location and it was a it's shaped like a pizza it's a fine size and um, they also agreed to another area in Bishopstone the difference there is that there was a tidy towns and that's that was an already pre-existing organization who were going to man the garden it's been kind of different everywhere we go really yeah so it was the tidy towns there looking for a garden for a number of years and we helped them establish it we got the permission we put them in contact with an organization who had some funding and that organization came in with all their workers and in one day the garden there was established uh in toker um 
it was a different model again. As I say, it was just one person. So we put a call out there to the local community in people's letterboxes. Five people returned. And that doesn't sound like an awful lot of people to start a garden. So that's the first thing I'd say. Sometimes it's an awful lot easier if you have only a few people yeah. to start it. And you'll find that it'll grow and grow and grow. So don't ever think, oh my God, I, I don't have enough people. So yeah, we got the permission. And then what we did was we got a design for the garden and we went to the Permaculture College and one of the students there did a beautiful design. And we went to the local men's shed. We got a grant from Cork Healthy Cities because um, Green Spaces for Health is a project of Cork Healthy Cities. And we were able to get funding for the timber for the raised beds. We applied for a polytunnel. We applied for a grant and we got it, luckily enough. Like nothing was handed on a plate, really. We had to try and get everything, but it was grand. It all happened, you know. Um, A lot of paperwork, but you got it in the end, yeah. Yeah, the polytunnel went up and then the raised beds and then we needed soil. We ran out of money and the city council actually said they'd help us with the soil. So we went to a contractor, a building contractor, and we got topsoil. I think twice about doing that again. I might go for a different sort of soil. But anyway, what happened next was that 80, 80 tons of soil was delivered. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is the important part now, right? Um, I think for people listening who are thinking of starting a garden, of course, you don't have to go as big as we did. 18 is big. But I just decided that we might as well be ambitious and the size of the park could accommodate it. And um, again, people said, why don't you get a load of diggers and move the soil into the raised beds and we said no we put a call out again and we contacted people all over cork we contacted different communities we contacted men's sheds and different people and uh, on the day there was about 70 people rocked up and with their shovels and wheelbarrows we all shifted the soil in together and there was such a sense of achievement and I think the local people were, after that, really invested in the project. I'd always push a physical, if you can do something physically, do it above getting the machines involved. Machines involved or outsourcing yeah. it to somebody else. Do it yourself because it just means people were there from the very beginning. They mightn't appreciate it at the time, but afterwards the sense of achievement that they get is immense and they'll never forget it. It was a great day with young and old. And we've we very little occasion these days for doing anything physical work yeah. work wise together, like like the old metals, you know, exactly. uh, in the countryside when people came together for threshing uh, threshing and that. Um so it's a very joyful occasion. We've done a number of things like that since and they've always been successful. That's amazing. Like that literally sounds like a Hollywood film where the 70 elves and Lord of the Rings are coming over the hill in the distance, like to save the day with their shovels. Like it's fabulous. Have you got any stories since, I guess, setting up this community garden or even through through um, the other park you're talking about with the dye garden and everything else of, of inspiring other people to take action? Has there been any kind of anecdotal stories of the work you've been doing kind of having a ripple effect elsewhere for other people yes we have run an awful lot of projects in the garden like food growing is one part of it it's the most it's very important obviously but we've done so 
things and whenever we do something new we always involve the other gardens we always put invitations out and like there's no such thing as being a member of our garden you can come and go as you please one of the tips i'd have for anybody now who's considering setting up a garden is consistency again so at the moment we open every saturday morning and we open every wednesday morning that's not to say on the other mornings or afternoons or any time anybody can walk in. But when I say open, we have a presence there and um, mm. we open the polytunnel and that and get our tools and stuff. So consistency is very important. Um, so we grew food and we don't have a horticulturalist. That's another thing I think is important to say. Don't feel worried if you haven't got a lot of experience growing food. There's so yeah. much information out there that you can really encourage everyone in the group you know, who joins to uh, start learning and taking responsibility. And um, I think in the end, uh, what happened with us is that like we didn't have access to a horticulturalist and people were sort of forced to go out and make an effort to learn. And yeah. then, of course, slowly people in the community, uh, young or old, start coming in who have experience and they begin to want to share their experience. Like we have a lovely older gentleman now and he's very experienced with tomato plant growing. And oh, my goodness, like what he's taught us, we couldn't have learned in a book or, you know, it was just it's just been great. And he comes in every Saturday and he makes sure we're doing the right things with the tomatoes. And um, that's been fabulous. And there's a few other people like that in the community, you know, and other mm. people then have gone off to do gardening courses and they've brought the information back to the garden. So we're becoming very resourceful. And that's just a great thing, really, I think, for yeah. the community. So then we grew the food and we made mistakes. And there's a huge benefit in making mistakes as well, because you're not likely to make the same mistake. Again, we're entering year two of growing and already we're doing things a little bit differently, you know, from yeah. our experience of the first year. So um, one of the uh, projects we did was we decided to hold cookery classes for children in the outdoors and we had two camping stoves and we have a bicycle that when you pedal the bicycle it powers a smoothie maker oh my god love it i think i've seen one of these at like festivals and stuff like that brilliant yeah yeah they're fantastic yeah so we ran a four-week course for eight to twelve year olds and it was absolutely great and um out of that, then uh, we decided to write up all the recipes and we thought, gosh, wouldn't it be great if other children who couldn't at the time do the course had the benefit of this. So we published a little book and one of our gardeners, it turned out, was an artist and she illustrated it. Beautiful little book. I'm very proud of it. So it's a little cookery book. We published a thousand of them and they're going into all the primary schools in Cork City. We have it online as well and people can download it on a PDF from MTU, Munster Technological University. Amazing. I can link that in the show notes and on the website as well. So if people want to find it, they can link it below. So that's one of our stories. That was really popular. And I think now we might try and do another cookbook this year uh, with all the people from, um, do you know, from different parts of the world who are interacting with the garden. Maybe get recipes from... Lots of different cultures. Yeah, that would be amazing. Because like Irish food, the vegetables we can grow here in our soil is amazing, but we're not really known for our cuisine. <laughs> Coddle and shoes, um, shepherd's pie, like beyond that, <laughs> we're not the best. So please like get some, oh, yeah, that would be amazing to, to invite some other cultures in. And like you're saying, the garden is open to everyone and it's it's a great place to, to meet people. Um, that's something 
uh, like every human being ha it has in common on the planet obviously we're all we all need the planet to survive but everyone eats food all of our food comes from the earth and people have different experiences across the world depending on the climate that they grew that they grew up in with what they can grow and new scales as well like that's really that's so exciting so that's just amazing um is there anything any other advice or leaves you would like to share with listeners that they can take and add into their own book in regards to sustainable living eco-friendly living food growing or biodiversity matching the two anything at all you'd like to share i mean you probably have so much wisdom that we can't fit into just one podcast episode but any of your favorite bits of advice certainly i've loads to say from the experience it's not so much wisdom it's from the experience of 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 what's come out of Toker it's mm. been revelation I would say like at the end of every gardening session we always have a cup of tea and sometimes we have food and I think that's really important because that's where stories come that's where people unburden or share their stories that's where decision making happens we don't have a committee by the way we sort of decided at one point that we wouldn't continue with the committee mm. that we try another form of um, governance now we haven't quite decided on what that is but there's a sort of democracy with chatting informally, you know, over a cup of tea that's been very beneficial. And that's where a lot of the decisions are made. The other thing I would say is like the garden has become a great place for so many people. It's just a wonderful. I can't think of anywhere else where there's such a mix of people, you know, yeah, young, old people who are lonely, people who've lost people in their lives. Mm. Um, people who feel isolated, young mothers with babies. Um, it's a very social place. It's very easy going. It's in the outdoors. Oh my goodness! So much kind of comes out of it that way. You know, that's yeah. very important. That it's literally priceless. The importance of the food. It is. So it's as much about growing community and breaking down all those barriers that have become very much established in our time of living you know uh, unfortunately okay when it comes to biodiversity we've established a pond in our garden we've planted 350 trees around the garden instead of fences and gates and locks and keys Mm. we've planted a hedgerow all around the garden and uh, we've got our native species in there and we have fruit trees consider um other food that you may not traditionally associate with community gardens or you mightn't even associate with Ireland. So we're planting cob nut trees, which are a cultivar of hazelnut. Okay. And um, for some reason, we don't seem to. Well, I don't know of much culturally with even my family and my family were farmers from both my mother and my father. When they were growing up, they were they grew up in farms. I don't ever he- remember hearing them talk about uh, cob nuts. Yeah, I know the traveling community certainly was big in their community, but hazelnut has both carbohydrates and it also has protein. It's a complete food, and you can do so much. You can make flour, and you can do make drinks. You can do all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So we're planting a lot of uh, nut trees now as well. Uh, we have apple trees. We've got a lady from Mexico, and she's planted amaranth this year. Amaranth is a super food. You'd have to eat four or five different foods to get what you can get out of the one plant. Amaranth. And she's going to take us through the whole process. Like we planted it outdoors as a trial and unfortunately it didn't work outdoors. And I think we planted it too early because the seasons have been really 
the amount of rainfall that happened right. this April is phenomenal. Yeah. So we're going to try it outdoors again, but it's thriving in our polytunnel. Hopefully, like if the crop comes to full fruition, um, she will then harvest the grain and she'll show us how to use it, you know, cooking-wise. Yeah. She's already after making cookies with it and they're delicious. And um, so that's one of the things we're doing. So you could look to your community. Like there's a lovely garden that we helped set up in Cork. It's um, called the Solidarity Garden and it's a garden for people who are living in direct provision Amazing. and to have access to land, let's say. And they're growing all sorts of things. They've tried out different plants from their countries, you know, so that's mm. very exciting. Getting back to biodiversity, we've had all sorts of events related to biodiversity. So we're learning not just about food, but we're learning about those we're sharing the planet with, other creatures. Yes. Um, so we had a bio blitz there two weeks ago and Aina Nilauna was our special guest. Wow. And we identified 20 species of bird with the public early in the morning. And then we had another expert in uh, an expert in insects. And we counted so many insects and identified them with her. We had somebody else doing plants. We went to the river, which was really shocking. Water is another big thing for gardens. It makes you really appreciate water and water harvesting. In the way that you see the, if you see a dry spell and how the plants and food suffer or in what, in what other ways? Exactly. We had a drought last year. If you remember last summer, there was yeah. about four weeks for plants. I mean, they need watering every, we don't have a tap and... The garden wasn't long established and um, we hadn't any water harvesting in place. Mm. Now, we have it in place this year and we have managed to harvest a little bit of water. Not enough, unfortunately, because even though there was loads of rain, rainfall, it was still um, it was kind of difficult because we were trying to rainfall. We were trying to rain harvest from a curved polytunnel. Right. And that's true didn't quite manage it. That's still work in progress. But anyway, rain harvesting is something and it really makes you uh, value water in a way that you never kind of normally might think of when it's mm-hmm. coming out of the tap, you know. And it took us to the river as a group to see, well, can we, get, can we take water from the river? And that in turn, of course, turned into a big uh, discussion about the river because the river is in a really bad state. Like so many of our rivers in Ireland, it's really yeah. unfortunate. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Scandal, actually. So now um, our interests have extended beyond the garden. And that morning when we did the bioblitz, um, the specialists uh, went out to the source of the river in the countryside and they had a sample of the water there. And then they tried to take a sample in the city mm. where we were. And of course, the two were polar opposite. One was yeah. clear and clean and the other was just sludge. And how do you know what the specific sources are for that is there is it like you know um runoff from farms uh like fertilizers or is it just like city pollution everything from the roads been washed in through the drain probably just a mixture of lots of things or do you have an idea we think it's possibly industrial pollution as well as maybe sewage we there we've we've identified mm-hmm. a few pipes that are cracked but we think up further where we can see where the water goes underground. It's culverted for a while. There might be something going on there. We're not clear. It needs some professionals to go out. And, yeah, it uh, needs um, attention. So ho- yeah, hopefully hopefully that's something that the, that the council or 
um, Irish water or government someone can can do and absolutely look at um, but something else I want to ask you before we start wrapping up one last question because a lot of people when they start growing food in their garden or um, in, a, in a community space one of the first kind of problems that they face are um, slugs and pests now talking to a couple of people about biodiversity here before um, permaculture is like you're building like a little ecosystem nearly and building the likes of a pond that brings in frogs that can eat bu- bugs can be really helpful um, but what advice would you have for for that if people want to be mindful of biodiversity but also harvest some of their food <laughs> yes uh, that's a good question well first of all it's important to say and I'm sure this goes uh, without saying anyway uh, but everything is organic we don't touch sprays or anything like that Amazing. and we try to be humane obviously and because the land in Toker wasn't good, that's why we had to bring in the soil. And by the way, you don't have to bring in the soil if your land is okay. We kind of had to because it was there was some rubble underneath and it was not great. And we built up, so we built up about maybe, uh, let me think, three sixes, 18, about 18 inches is what we built up. So well, they're quite yeah. high. So we haven't had a huge issue with slugs, but uh, this year now we're going to net up um, some of our cabbages and brassicas and all that, um, you know, uh, try and protect them a little bit. We're 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 willing to share as well a certain amount of the food with our mm. with the creatures, but obviously we want to take the majority. We want to take a good bit away, and we're yeah. hoping that a lot of hedgerow maybe can sort of attract the insects. Of course, you can companion plant, and you can you can plant flowers in your beds. You know, depending on what the um, plant is, you can plant companion planting that will take away the aphids and stuff. You know, um, they'll be more attracted to the flower than they will to the actual plant. So you could do a bit of research in that. We bought from one of the gardens actually um, slug fences and we got them in Germany. They're made out of galvanized metal. And their only dilemma with them is you can't build up because they've a little lip in them, you know, they're about a foot tall. There's a little, yeah, there's a kind of a sharp enough kind of a lip at the top of them. And apparently slugs can't manage to climb up them. Right. And yeah, that seems to be the case throughout Murphy's Farm now in the other garden that I mentioned earlier. They're cheaper than timber. They're about, they were about four euro, five euro a metre. And they sort of slide into one another like they're like envelope thin almost and they slide into each other and that certainly worked i have them in my own garden there now the only thing is if grass grows up around it the slugs can kind of catapult themselves <laughs> over, the, over the blooming slug sitting. <laughs> they'll find a way they build a bridge it's like yeah yeah oh my gosh you're so clever sure you can go the old-fashioned way then and go out with your torch and kind of pick them up you know amazing and again like if you're if you're got hedgerows there and bird feeders and, and that kind of thing or not bird feeders but if you if if it's a bird friendly garden then the birds will be coming in and taking and taking snacks and everyone gets to benefit and um, that's amazing there's so much i could ask you maria but i don't want to keep you here all day on your friday evening and um, before i ask the last question of the podcast is there anything else that you'd like to share with people well a couple of things i want to say i suppose before i forget Please, um, yeah one of them is uh, we started a seed library wow. seed is really important uh we started a seed library in a public library so much like you might take out a book from a library uh in the seed library uh which is a cabinet in the book library it's a to a z fruit vegetables 
you pull out a drawer, you get your carrot seed, you go up to the desk as if it were a book and you sign it out. Wow. You plant your seed, consume most of it probably, you harvest the seed and you return the seed to the library. You're able to um, save seed and to consider the provenance of their seed. And this is very important because we've got heirloom seed in Ireland, seed savers in Scarf County Clare, for example. Yeah. We've got the brown seed envelope company in West Cork. In fact, we stopped the library first day with their seed. So we've got good heirloom varieties. So I think I'd, I'd be saying I'd be encouraging people to start a seed library Brilliant. in their local life. You just need to stock it in the beginning, get the word out. All the different community gardens could get involved. Anybody, there's a load of gardeners out in the world. And then many of them might have um, seed themselves, you know, from the past that they could uh, share with the community. So that's yeah. one thing. Um, the second thing, of course, is the importance of biodiversity in the times we live in. This is why I love Joanna Macy and reconnecting with nature mm. and for our health and well-being, for our emotional health and our mental health and everything. How great it is to go into nature and just be with nature and try and abandon our phones for a while and empty our minds and slow down. You don't always have to know the name of a tree in order to appreciate it. Observing it and looking at it and being with it and going back to the same tree frequently through all the seasons. I think there is a tree blindness out there, uh, you know, and mm. people get very sad when they discover trees have been knocked, but they mightn't even see them in a way, you know, um, every day in their day to day life. They're sentient beings. I really believe that. And mm-hmm. um fact that they're communicating with one another they've been in the planet so much longer than us get to know the trees in your neighborhood get to know uh, the wilderness in your neighborhood love your wildness you know mm-hmm. um and stop manicuring and i'm sure a lot of your listeners won't be doing that anyway but encourage your local council as well to do things like don't mow let it grow for the month of may exactly. uh, embrace nettles that support all those butterflies embrace things like thistles dandelions i'm sure i'm speaking to the converted here now on your pod yeah no but it's good to yeah repeat it and get our must with knowledge that we can give to our local to our families and friends and that yeah dandelions are amazing oh they're amazing and in the community garden because it's in a public space anybody who goes into the community garden can see this wildness around and at least consider doing it in their own garden you know yeah um so you're a good example in your community if you're starting a community garden by doing that and always try and find natural solutions i suppose to your problems or your issues or your challenges in the garden and um, try and be led by nature and i think that way then that'll bring us hope and all the small efforts will all multiply and together we'll make a change big time oh maria i wish you were running the whole country You've got so like just nuggets of wisdom and like you said, all coming from your experience. So the work that you and your colleagues and fellow volunteers are doing is just so inspirational. So thank you so much. But for our final question, this is can be a bit of a fun one or you can answer it however you like. But if you if we travel fast forward now to the future, it could be however, 80, 100 years ahead, 150 years and um, our generation acted enough to eradicate climate change as a threat and our ecosystems are stable and we've eradicated oppressive systems left, right and centre and it's a nice 
it's just pleasant future. But what is one of your favorite things about that? So one of my favorite things would just be the repair cafes that are everywhere and local villages and towns. Instead of like chains, there's all these like little small local businesses run by everyone. And yeah, that's one one of my favorite things. So if you would like to paint a little picture, what would be one of your favorite things in the future when it all works out? Gosh, um, I imagine walking down the main street of our city. And as I do, there's something about it that's so different and it catches me every time. And that is the sound because cars now are gone from the city. Mm. And I look up and there is a spine of trees going all the way down Patrick Street. And I'm marveling at the canopy and all the birds song that I'm hearing. And underneath there's actually grass and people are sitting down. There's plenty of public seating and young and old are sitting down enjoying a beautiful sunny day on our main street. And like what you said now, the chain, the big chain stores, there might be one or two left, but there's so many small indigenous shops that are really interesting and they've spilt out onto the street mm-hmm. and there's a lot of outdoor dining and there's just a real sense of community and um and yet a kind of feeling of calmness which i don't remember in the past and i'm wondering how did it take us so long to change (laughs) to this and i feel a sense of hope as well and i'm hearing the whirring of bicycle be bicycle wheels actually and um, i'm getting down to our river lee our beautiful river lee that the city was built in and i look in over the bridge and gee isn't it wonderful? I'm actually seeing some people fishing. Imagine there are fish in the river and it's clean. And up further, there are people swimming. It's like, wow, imagine that. And then I turn right actually onto that quay there and I'm going down towards the docks. It's all changed. And there's a kind of a wildness about the place because there's tall grass everywhere. And there's this building complex and it's all these... um sort of a mixture of cob and timber houses and they're lovely and they're all kind of open plan and there's hundreds and hundreds of people living there and there isn't a car to be seen there's electric little vans all right delivering things but most people are on bikes and um yeah there's just grasses and children are playing and i feel a great sense of relief actually that's what I feel. I don't have to feel so worried anymore about the future and about about the next generation. I'm just feeling so relieved that thank goodness we got there in the end. It took a long time, but we actually got there, and this is the result of it. And I'm I'm so relieved. It's 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 great. That is amazing, Maria. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was there. I was fully on Patrick Street with you. So I really look forward to working towards that exact future. And I can't thank you enough for sharing that vision and just all of your tips. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Now, I hope you guys were on that journey with Maria and I. Like, I was in Cork it's been years since I was in Cork and I could see everything that she was talking about so yeah I'm so grateful to her for her time 
thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, as I said, everything that we talked about is listed in the show notes. Um, sometimes, depending on what platform you're listening on, it won't have everything linked um, below. Like, it won't have any links in. But if you go onto the website, bookofleadspodcast.com, you will find everything there. Um, if there's, a, like, the, the jobs that she's working for, the various jobs that she has, any resources that were mentioned, everything is in the show notes. They are your friend. Um, anyone watching on YouTube can probably see that I'm dressed like a rainbow right now. That's because it's Pride. I'm recording this on Pride. I'm about to go to a family event though and I figured I got to bring the Pride to this family event. So I am dressed in a secondhand rainbow jumpsuit. So this was, I got this in a charity shop, um, secondhand fashion for the win. And yes, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to share this episode with a friend. If you like the work that I do, you can support on Patreon or buy me a coffee. Please rate, review, send any suggestions on um, the L socials. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Happy Pride. Love is love. Trans rights are human rights. And I think I'll end with that message. So thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Love you all. Bye.